To stand together, we must stand up for one another and recognize the fear, hurt, and outrage rightly provoked by the senseless killing of George Floyd and a much longer history of racism. That painful past is still present today, not only in the form of violence, but in the everyday experience of deeply rooted discrimination. This is a moment when many people may want nothing more than a return to normalcy or the status quo that is only comfortable if we avert our gaze from injustice. As difficult as it may be to admit, that desire is itself a sign of privilege. George Floyd's death is shocking and tragic proof that we must aim for higher than a normal future and build one that lives up to the highest ideals of equality and justice. In the words of Martin Luther King, Every society has its protectors of status quo and its fraternities of the indifferent who are notorious for sleeping through revolutions. Today, our very survival depends on our ability to stay awake, to adjust to new ideas, to remain vigilant, and to face the challenge of change. With every breath we take, we must commit to being that change and to creating a better, more just world for everyone. I'm Andrew Edwards, and those were the words of Apple CEO Tim Cook in response to the outrage, hurt, and fear that's been provoked by the murder of George Floyd, which was the last straw that broke the camel's back and has resulted in an uprising by black and brown people in America and around the world. Geared Up is your weekly look at the world of consumer electronics and gadgets, and we appreciate the listeners who support us each week. Today, we open the show and spend the first half supporting the people and communities who've suffered due to inequality, lack of empathy, disrespect, and outright racism simply due to the color of their skin. Whether you like it or not, black lives matter, and it's time that we all treat them as such. Now, let's start the show. Welcome to Geared Up, brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am still uh, John Rettinger. And this week, I know I say this every week. I say it. But you mean it every week. You mean mean it it every week. week. I say it every week. I mean it every week. But maybe this week it is more accurate than in other weeks. Not to say that previous guests aren't up to snuff, but we may have the best guest we've ever had of all time. Wow. Making a return. Wow. Sarah Dietschy, how are you doing? What's up? That was a buildup. So hopefully I can live live up to it. Yes. And I thoroughly apologize to all of the previous guests. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the one thing you didn't do, which the last, I think, four guests in a row have done, is I introduce myself, John introduces himself, and then I introduce the guest. They usually like cut me off and introduce themselves while I'm talking. We talk about what just happened and yeah and so screw them man so good 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 on you for knowing <laughs> most polite guests we ever had i should say too <laughs> so this is geared up this is usually your weekly look at the world of consumer electronics and tech and it still will be this week but we have a lot of other things to talk about specifically this week that i don't think we or a lot of other people that we know can and have not been ignoring So the country, if not the world, is in the midst of a major uprising Mm -hmm. due to events over the past couple of weeks, police killing more black people. And it seems that a lot of people in the country here in the United States have come to a point where they've had enough. And we've seen protesting and rioting and pushback and leadership in the country on both sides reacting or not reacting acting like everything's everything's fine so we thought as a collective this week we would address some of our thoughts as to what's going on i have a a little anecdote as to a battle that i had with youtube behind the scenes it was a 24-hour battle that started on Wednesday night yeah. and went through Thursday night can you night. get some more detail on that and what that battle what that battle was oh yeah for sure so basically When things started happening, we saw a lot of creators start putting out videos or statements on social media, et cetera, about here's my opinion on what's going on. Here's how I feel about this. Here's how it's affected me or my friends or my loved ones, which I totally respect and appreciate. For me, I wanted to do something similar, but I wanted to use my knowledge 
and the things that, you know, I could teach people just in everyday life, which my specialty is consumer electronics. I wanted to, here's my opinion on what's going on, but also how could I help? Like, what can I do to help? Not just say like, here's what I think and, and I'm with you and all that, but what can I do to actually help somebody if they were to watch this video other than make them feel good or make them mad, depending on who they are. And so I figured, okay, I'm going to do a video showing how to protect your smartphone and the data on it before you leave the house if you're going to attend a protest. So that's something I know how to do, something that I thought was topical and something that I thought was if someone did plan on leaving the house to protest what they consider to be inequality, that my video would keep them safer than if they hadn't watched it. So that was my goal. And what ended up happening was I published the video and as expected, and as I, as I knew what happened, there were several comments that, you know, were fantastic, but also several comments that flew in that were like, Hey, this is you protecting and helping criminals. This is you supporting looting and you don't support small businesses. If you weren't doing anything wrong, you'd have nothing to hide anyway. Why would you help people do this? And then some more like racist ones would come in as well. And one comment in particular said, I'm going to get, I don't know, it's like 30 or 40 of my friends to come report this to YouTube because this doesn't belong in the platform. Wow. And so I'm, I'm just deleting, you know, I'm deleting the, the ones that I think, like I usually don't delete negative comments. Yeah, of course. But for this video, it was a different kind of negative. It was hate. It was basically hate comments. And so those, I, I would just delete them and no big deal. Well, 15 minutes later, the video was pulled by YouTube. And I'm like, okay. I also figured when I published it, that might happen. So it's not like I'm like, what, what's going on? This is crazy. Like yeah, I've been around, been around long enough to know how it works. Yeah. So in a short amount of time, there was a lot of people reporting the video and therefore the algorithm automatically pulled the video. So I was ready to go. I'm lucky enough as a creator to have a dedicated YouTube partner manager that I can call, text, email at any time. So the first thing I did was I filed a appeal. And then I contacted my partner manager and said, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what happened. Here's what the result was. Can you help me expedite this to get the video back up? So it took five hours. And for those who don't know, when you publish a YouTube video, that first hour or so, it's very important for mm -hmm. the trajectory of how your mm -hmm. video is going to perform. So having a video pulled within 15 minutes is not good. And it took them about six hours to process my appeal and then re, what do you call it? They put the video back live, basically, about six Which hours Which for later. YouTube is record time. Yeah, that's true. So they were able to expedite. But that initial hour was basically gone, as was the first six hours. However, when they put the video back, it was with a disclaimer. So number one, you had to be logged into YouTube to watch it. And number two... You had to be over 18 years old in your profile in order to see it. And number three, when you clicked on the link and hit play, you would have to agree that you're watching a video that would be offensive or what was it? It was offense. This video may be offensive, considered offensive or inappropriate to some viewers. And wow. just to not mince words, the only viewers who I think would be offended by this video would be racist. I'm just calling yeah. that out. So... Now the video's live, but you can't see it. You can't share it. So if you're watching it in mobile, there's no share button and it's suppressed. So if you search, it's not going to pop up in search. You have to like specifically be looking for this video to see it. So I had to file another appeal and then it was back and forth with YouTube on Twitter, behind the scenes and them saying, well, there, you there should is some list a few of those things that you said in the video, just so people know how like non-problematic it oh, is. Oh yeah. So yeah. the second <laughs> segment of the it. show. After the break, I'm going to go over and I'm not going to ask you guys too for your tips. But basically the video was, here's some tips to protect your data. And if everything that was going on in the world wasn't happening, this would still just be a great video yeah. for just protecting your data. It's not can about... You, can you give an example? Like what was one of the tips? One example would be before you leave the house, make sure you have a recent backup just in case your phone gets lost or stolen. 
horribly problematic right. before How you leave the house. You, How dare you, Oh my gosh. God. <laughs> Turn off or set your screen lock to the shortest amount of time possible so that your phone automatically locks again and requires authentication basically 10 seconds after you stop using it rather than, you know, being open mm-hmm. and then someone grabs your phone or you drop it, someone else picks it up. Set a SIM pin so that if someone does take your phone, they can't take your SIM out, put it into a different phone and then impersonate mm. you. So just things like that, just like tips That's a good tip on how right to protect there. yourself when going into a situation where you could accidentally drop your phone and lose it, or it can be confiscated illegally by law enforcement who could then access it if you don't have the proper precautions and safety measures taken. So that was the, the point. Now, before I went into the tips, kind of like this podcast episode, I did start the video by sharing my thoughts as to what was going on in the world. And I did show clips of George Floyd's murder by a police officer. And I did show clips of people peacefully protesting. So not looting, not rioting, but the peaceful protesters and also clips of peaceful protesters being attacked by law enforcement. Now, all three of those things, well, peaceful protesting is not disturbing, but the other two are. However, the other two clips you could find on Jimmy Fallon's channel, your five o'clock local news channel, any channel, any other, like I actually told them, you're only giving me 300 characters for this appeal. I can literally give you 50 YouTube URLs with no exaggeration that have the exact same clips that you're saying are the reason why my video is being suppressed. So it took them a full, I think it was like 23 and a half hours before they removed it. They publicly apologized and said this should have never happened in the first place. They were sorry. They are looking into their policies to possibly change. Well, you shouldn't have a system that you could gamify in the first place that automatically takes down videos. (laughs) That's it. I mean... (laughs) That's that's basically that's a really simple a version solution. On, <laughs> because even if this wasn't about, you know, and as important an issue as is going on today, if you're someone who just has, you know, this would never happen. But let's say The Verge publishes a video and Engadget is like, hey, Engadget staff, go report that video. If we all do it, The Verge's video will get taken. Like that would not happen between these two companies, but that situation could happen. You could just get, hey, hey, friends, help me take this other person down just because I don't like them or I'm competing against them. It's just odd that the system set up by one of the biggest companies in the world works that way. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Yeah. So our guest is Sarah Dietschy this week. Yes. <laughs> Sarah, you are in the heart of New York City, in my opinion. Yes, in my opinion, yeah. the heart of New York City is in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Let me just throw that out there. Mm-hmm. You, I've seen clips on social media where you're showing people protesting. Like, is it your window at work or at home? Like, at home, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting because my apartment is in downtown Brooklyn, and a lot of like the peaceful protests are just like right in front of my place. And then my office is in Tribeca, so it's been a weird juxtaposition because, truthfully, in Brooklyn, a lot of the stuff that you see on the news is like 100 percent police provoking those things and then in manhattan in downtown that's where a lot of the looting was so it's been a really weird juxtaposition of those two things because i've I've gone back and forth only like once or twice because with the curfew now i'm honestly just scared to go outside but it's been cool because i'll see a clip where you know like a person i don't know what they're called emt who go and basically save people and put them in their ambulance or is that what they're called? EMT? The, EM, the paramedics, the EMTs? Paramedics? First responders. Yeah, yeah. yeah, first responders. Yeah. So there was a really fun clip where one of the first responders went on her intercom of her car and was like cheering everyone on. And it was such a heartwarming nice. clip. And I saw that after yesterday, I literally saw a moment where the protesters were like cheering and everything. I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on down there. And so it's really interesting to see it link up with the social media clips. Like I saw that out my window. Yes. And as we just started this podcast, I just saw a helicopter literally fly solo because it's, gosh, there it is. It's just circulating <laughs> basically my apartment. What <laughs> so is it's wild to Why? be, because it's where the protests happen every single day. Wow. And they just come, I've just never seen a helicopter fly so close to my apartment. I literally want to 
film this and send it to you guys. John, how is it over there by you? You're more in the burbs. I am. I'm in Orange County. It's about 50 miles south of Los Angeles. So nothing has really happened here. Nothing has changed. There's been there was a gathering of about 75 people peacefully protesting in front of our city hall here. My sisters are in the heart of Los Angeles. You know, they've had a different experience. Yeah. Uh, they had, you know, they had tanks down Santa Monica Boulevard. Both my sisters are in the medical profession. One is a physician. The other one is a veterinarian. So essential workers. And they've been unable to get to work because of what's going on, which is causing the doctors that are we're currently at the hospital before all the curfew and such happens to have to work extended mm-hmm. hours. So there's been some tough times for the medical profession as well. But certainly I have not seen nor would pretend to have seen what Sarah's currently looking at or what, what folks in Los Angeles or, or New York City have witnessed. All I've seen is, is what's, what's been on the news and social media. Fair enough. Yeah, it must be wild to be an essential worker coming home past curfew because I've just seen the most insane clips of literally poor food delivery guys and their bikes getting pulled over. I saw your post yesterday. Yeah. I just, there's so much of this that I just don't understand. (laughs) I'm like, burn it all down. Let's just start from scratch. That's a great point. (laughs) Let's just start from, you know, zero and we'll figure it out, guys. I think there's a lot of great ideas out there. How is it that? Seeing someone's life as valuable is seen to some as being antagonistic. You're antagonizing me. You're telling me someone's life is, has value. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. It seems like the folks who take umbrage with that are the ones that are saying, well, they're assuming that by saying a black life matters, that their life matters less, which is just a ridiculous sentiment to have. I mean, it's, it's black lives matter also, and it's black lives that are in mm-hmm. danger you know, now and in the past few weeks, it's not necessarily white lives that need to be brought to the forefront right now. You know, we haven't been the victims or at least to the extent of, of the police brutality that's been going on right now. So that whole argument is, is just is, is asinine and ridiculous. And the more people try to explain it, the ones that share that view, the more ridiculous <laughs> it tends to sound. And that's actually been f- fun on social media is to ask people to explain politely and respectfully. And the more they explain... Generally, they'll come to a point, it's like a denouement, and they're like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> okay, unless, yeah. They're, you know, unless there's, uh, you know, there's racist undertones there. I think people are generally misinformed mm-hmm. about the movement, tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps that's foolish. But that's at least my thought on, on where that comes from. What's so interesting is when you bring up other things, like the entire thing with your video, what you were trying to describe is, hey... It's almost like talking about privacy, the importance of that, the importance of owning your own autonomy, like all these things that traditionally people in other camps would stand for. And it's the same thing with the curfew. A lot of people were just, you know, protesting about being cooped up at home and the stay at home orders. But now we have a curfew and where are those people? So (laughs) it's one of those things that when you just look at things through a different lens, I think maybe people can be like, oh, right. Oh, okay. It's just, it's been the same opinions just ingrained into people for so long. It depends what they watch. You know, I've had a lot of that experience of a Texan living in New York is such a unique experience because like, I basically feel like I would piss off both sides with some of my opinions that I really never voice. But it's so funny in this instance you're seeing a lot of people come together from both sides, I think, and which yeah. is really great. And I think Twitter, thank God we're seeing these terrible clips because holy smokes, I grew up as a person who 100% all police were there to protect me. Right. Never in my mind was, oh man, this police pulling me over for you know a stop sign is going to pull out his gun. That was never a fear. And that's, I think, the reality that a lot of people are coming to understand. And I think it, there's going to be a lot of good. I don't know. It feels different this time. Can we talk about our perspectives? I think yeah. we all come from different places yeah. and different experiences. I think, Sarah, what you shared is a very fair point. So, you know, coming from coming from, from, from Dallas and moving to New York, like what has your experience been with this? Obviously, you know, pre the attack and, and post. Yeah. I mean, like me personally or... Yeah, I mean, personal experiences and and beliefs, if you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, 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 of course. You know, it's just through listening 
I always want to be careful because I'm always like, oh, I'm so exhausted and tired. And then people are like, yeah, how do you think black people feel, Sarah, <laughs> if you're exhausted and tired? You know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. That is 100% fair. And it's been wild because literally just a month ago, I felt like I was just tweeting about, I feel like we're going to talk about Twitter a lot in this podcast, but I was just tweeting about Ahmed Aubrey in Atlanta. And in the same week, there were terrible clips of NYPD just beating the living crap out of two people for not wearing masks. And I feel like I see that stuff all the time in New York. And so I feel like with a few of those instances already, I was just like, oh, when you see all that stuff all the time on on a feed, I don't think we're built to take all of that in. But I feel like it was already at a point where it was just like, what is going on? And I think what people are frustrated with is the accountability. Like those officer, those people, not officers, these were just racist humans who hunted down a person, which was disgusting. They weren't held accountable until the video went viral. Right. Like it took two months for that. So I think everything before the protests and now and after, I think really at the heart of it is just people want accountability. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people always bring up, it's weird when people bring up arguments for this stuff. Like, oh, but what about this on this crime and this and that? We're like, guys, we're talking about what happens when a black person gets killed? What happens to that cop? Is there any accountability? And I think that's at the heart of, I think, what people are really waking up and they're asking those questions. And we just want answers. We want people to be accountable. And we don't want to have to have a video recording that goes viral on Twitter for that to happen. Yeah. I've actually been caught off guard by police who see several smartphones pointed at them and yet (laughs) will still still attack (laughs) someone. Like, what do you do when you know there's no camera happening? like around you if you're willing to do this when the cameras are rolling potentially even live streaming what do you do when you know you're you're not being watched it's frightening yeah yeah no i very much agree my perspective i think is is in line with sarah and i i'm a person who's been very careful in my public life to stay very far away from topics of politics and religion and that's been by design and i've sort of broken from that stance, obviously, of events that have happened the past few weeks. And even though I, I don't speak about politics or I hadn't prior to this online, it doesn't mean I wasn't political or very avidly political. And something I've, I don't think I've ever talked about actually publicly, but my whole voting life, I've been a registered Republican. Now, the last election, I, I couldn't bring myself to vote for the Republican candidate and I opted to vote Libertarian. And then about a year ago, I, I deregistered as Republican, registered as an independent. So I'm somebody who maybe comes from the other side of the aisle. And I oftentimes have felt like a person without a party. Personally, I'm very socially liberal, but I'm relatively fiscally conservative. And I didn't feel like any party represented those beliefs. And when you see the direction of where the right is going and the direction of where the left is going, I think it's harder when you just say, I just want to be a good person. I want to treat people with respect. And I don't want to politicize that I'm treating people with respect. And I think that's been hard. And you see the horrible events that have happened, you know, and I think perhaps understandably become politicized, especially in election year. And it's hard to identify or even say that I, you know, I was a Republican. I mean, at this point, so the, the, the whole party has been kind of taken over, but the direction has changed. And especially for somebody who wants to have those socially liberal policies, you know, believe in, in equality for everybody, uh, believe in, in gay marriage and things like that. It's been, it's been hard. And I'm also somebody who has very strong political aspirations, and I've always had political aspirations. And to see what's going on in the country is heartbreaking for people to not feel safe. And I think what Sarah said resonated with me as well. I grew up, police were there to protect me. Yeah. I mean, if I got pulled over, it's generally because I was doing something wrong. I was speeding. Or they're there to break up a party if I was in high school. Like it never, the thought of my personal safety never entered my head in encounters with police. And this is something that's definitely changed my perspective. You know, that's, you can call it privilege, personal experience, whatever it might be, but it's something that I had, I had never seen. And I would never want to say I know what it feels like to be black in America or a person of color, because I certainly, I, I do not. And I can't imagine the fear that goes along, goes along with it. And I think what's going on right now is shedding lights on, obviously, black lives mattering, but also other minority groups, I think too. My kids go to a Jewish school. 
that has to have armed security guards mm. at the gates. My son had a bomb threat called into a school last year. And that being the world we live in where people who share those fringe beliefs now feel empowered and emboldened is something horrible yeah. and tragic. And if anything good can come from the really atrocious <laughs> events that we've had in the past few weeks, months, and, and probably years before it got filmed, is that we can maybe have a, a real cultural shift in how we treat people and how we treat those around us and our, our perspective on authority figures, you know, how they should be treated. And I think and it's kind of weird to quote this, but I think it was Chris Rock who said, like, yes, I know the quote generally was, you know, I know not all police are bad, but take a look at pilots. If you have a couple pilots that crash a plane, like not all pilots are bad. Are you getting on an airplane? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and something like that resonated and I never thought of it because I never had to. And it's been a lot of, of eye opening, I think, the past um, past few weeks for me me personally. So thank you for indulging me for a few minutes and absolutely. And that kind of long, uh, what's the first of office that you're running for? What's that first step, John? <laughs> I mean, so listen, I, I always had, <laughs> I have a whole plan in place. I love it. <laughs> so I, uh, I'll, I'll share it here for the first time. So I was initially, uh, planning to run for city council, but I always, I always had a dream that I wanted to be so financially secure that I didn't need the money from public office. I wanted to run as a one term congressman very vocally say I am a one-term congressman. Uh, I don't intend to be a lifetime politician, donate my salary to a non-religious, non-political charity, and be a person who can shed light on what's happening behind closed doors. You know what sucks though? In order to, I feel like, have change, you would probably have to be in there for longer. Yeah. <laughs> you would literally yeah. <laughs> have to pass, be able to pass legislation that mm -hmm. says that there are term limits mm -hmm. for congressmen and women. That would be your change. That should there be your you legacy. Because I, that, that I do not much. understand that. You look at people's bank accounts. You look at the lobbying. It's just like, it makes no sense that they don't have term yeah. limits. It's horrible and disgusting. And I, I've been, I was recruited to run for some city council and local government and have since stopped. I didn't have the time to commit to it. But that's at least always been, been my goal is to be somewhere where not only can I impact change myself, you know, first term congressman can't do much, but at least shed light on what's going on and maybe impact other people's behaviors who are in positions of power that can influence policy. And now I just don't know, I don't know what party I would. Uh, I know. Well, that's, that's something. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what, what, yeah. what party I would go for there. So I mean, um, what do you do guys say to the fact that year over year, Clinton, Bush, Obama, everyone, the police have been more militarized. It's been more funding. It's been more, all of these things that I feel like we're standing up for it's not even political because every single president and person who's come before us has embraced it and yeah. has made it bigger. Yeah. Like, what do you even say to that? How do you even attack that? It's strange know. because, number one, the whole Second Amendment thing is people saying we have a right to guns because we have a right to protect ourselves from the country turning against the people. Yet, it seems those same people are like, those are the people that are like, the police need to be militarized. We need this. Right. See, like, it's wait, so what? conflicting. That's what I don't understand. Yeah. Like, so when Trump was saying the other day, like, he's going to turn the military on the looters and rioters, it should be the Second Amendment people who say, hold up. This is our moment that we've been waiting for. Yeah. You can't do that to the American people, but they're, they're embracing it. So... Yeah. The whole militarization of the police force is almost feels like a way to get around. It's like a loophole. Okay, if we can't use the military on the American people, we can use the police and basically use them in the same way. Yeah. What I don't understand, though, is where were they on those initial nights in Manhattan of the looting? They were beating up peaceful protesters. Right. So it's right. if the NYPD has $5.8 billion budget last year, if they're going to have that budget, Jeez. if they're going to be militarized, if they're going to have this equipment, okay, well, maybe you should go do something about the only problem that's happening right now instead of harassing yeah. peaceful protesters. It's just, it just makes no sense. If I can, and this, is, this may be an unpopular opinion, but I agree with what you've said. And obviously, I think the answer is more education and more testing to try to sort of weed out those folks. Uh, but also, I think a lot of the problem has been the police unions. Yeah. Yeah. Not allowing, no, it's, not allowing that to happen. They have the protection. 
That's yes. 100%. There's a police officer in Philadelphia who had on his arm the Nazi flag plus fatherland and it was photographed. I mean, this is you, you can look this up. I can give you the guy's name. And he was suspended and the union said, nope. It's a freedom of expression, and he is back patrolling the streets in Philadelphia, proudly displaying his Nazi tattoo on his arm. And I understand unions have a place for a lot of industries, and I'm sure they do a lot of good in the police industry as well, as far as benefits and pay and that kind of thing. But they're also protecting the bad apples. Mm -hmm. And I think if you have an institution that's protecting and you want to, you know, you're of the mindset that you want to knock it down and build over again. I think that's where that conversation starts and a lot of places where that conversation ends. I don't think that's an unpopular opinion, is it? Maybe just once you say union, people get touchy. But I, I think that as soon as, soon as you mention that word, right. it sets generally sets folks right. off. And some people do like the Nazi symbol, so they may have also been offended. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I, mean, I mean, so you, you see things like that and you're like, well, like how can that happen? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, it's, if someone's as vocal as saying, I'm a racist on my arm, <laughs> And that person is still allowed to police the streets. What hope do you have of officers who don't have it displayed on their arms <laughs> of finding and weeding those people out? And how do you feel as someone who is a target of Nazis when you see, oh, the system is set up more to protect that person than to protect mm-hmm. me? How then do you have the trust in the system? Mm-hmm. You don't. And this is oftentimes why I feel like a, a hypocrite in my own skin, right? You look at me, I'm a generic white guy, right? I'm, I'm see-through. You <laughs> Same. Know, but I'm also Jewish and I'm very proud of it. But I don't walk around with a star or a yarmulke on my head. Mm-hmm. It's living in, in both worlds. And it's, it's hard. And like I said, I don't want to ever say I know what it's like to be you know, someone who's black in America. But I do know what discrimination feels like. But not because of my skin and not all the time. And it feels really bad. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and for somebody who can't take off a yarmulke or can't, you know, whatever. I can't even begin to empathize or, or sympathize with that struggle. Yeah. For me, I have this weird take because depending on where I am in the country or world physically, people will see me differently. They will guess differently about what I am. So for those who don't know, I am actually 25% African-American, 25% Norwegian, and 50% Dominican. Aww. So if I'm in New York people will assume I'm Puerto Rican or Dominican. If I'm here in Washington state in a more rural area, I am the blackest person you have ever seen. (laughs) And there's other areas I think, Hey, look at this white guy. Like, it's just interesting. So coupled with that, I actually grew up in foster care. So between ages Hmm. four and six, I had lived in New York city in 23 different homes between those two years and then spent the next eight years or so Still in foster care, but much less moving around. But as a result of that, I grew up not having and not realizing this was even a thing. I don't have any personal closeness to any heritage. I don't feel like quote air quotes. I don't feel black or white or Hispanic because I didn't have black traditions or Hispanic traditions or white traditions or Irish like because I moved around so much. It was more just, I'm just me. Like, I'm not like, you know, go Scotland. Like, there's no, there's nothing. So, <laughs> yeah, I just see myself and others just as humans. And it's always been weird to me. Like, if someone's watching a, like a one-on-one sport, like a boxing, a boxing match or something, like if one guy's Filipino, like Pacquiao, all the, all the Filipino people are like, that's my guy. I want him to win just because we're from the same country. Like, I I just, I don't have any of that. So it's interesting to me when I see how others see me in a way that I don't even see myself. So there have been times where I have been discriminated against and I wouldn't even realize it because I don't, again, I don't have like the community mindset of I'm part of a group that has to watch out or has to be aware, even though someone else may see me that way. So like if I get pulled over, I'm like, oh, great. Okay, let me just pull over. Everything's cool. But the person who approaches the door may see me as a black man who is giving them trouble. Whereas I'm not thinking, okay, I need to, I need to realize they may see me this way and I need to act. Don't be so casual, like be on alert. So everything that's been happening around me right now in Seattle has been just eye-opening, especially here. Seattle is such a liberal town that I thought 
we're going to be the example or one of the examples for the country on how to do this correctly, how to protest peacefully, how a police force manages looters and rioters and allows peaceful protest. And we've been one of the worst examples. The police here have been destroying people. Has this changed how you feel about yourself? I mean, have you felt more bonded to a particular community because of this? I don't think I feel more bonded. What I feel is I feel like I have the privilege of knowing firsthand how different ethnicities feel in a given situation because of how different people see me differently and treat me differently. Like if I was just very obviously black to everyone, then I would only have that one perspective. But since different people see me in different ways, I can kind of see the plight. And by the way, just a quick side note, the whole YouTube thing that I went through, I want that to sound like, like a major complaint because that was a drop in the bucket compared to what other people are going through. But it was an interesting look at unfairness yeah. and how come these rules are applying differently to me than all these other popular... The man. Yeah, like what's... Why? Why is it like this? And then being able to get the win in the end, which I expected. I basically knew how the whole thing was going to go. But at the end of the day, I did want to give a shout out to a bunch of the friends out there who I basically said, you know what? The algorithm has killed this video because it just didn't have the, the initial time and velocity to grow. If anybody shares this who is a YouTube creator on your community tab, for every person that does that up to a thousand bucks, I'll donate $50. And this morning it happened. It's like, and then that helped get the velocity back. And now the video is performing like that. That's a look at the struggle and then community getting around the person that had the struggle to get a win in the end. And it's such like a tiny little microcosm of what's happening in the world right now. There's unfairness. There is inequality. And there are people, the people who are being treated that way are obviously fighting back, but there are people who have never been treated that way or never been treated that way for that reason, who are also joining in to fight. And what I mean by that is like, we're here, two guys and a woman talking. I'm a hundred percent positive that Sarah has been treated differently, specifically because of her gender in ways that me or John have just never experienced or even had to yeah. worry about or think about in our life. So there's not just one section of the world that has a problem. We really need to address equality as a whole in all facets. Period. I mean, that was all yeah, right. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. And <laughs> yeah. we'll see I mean, you in the next one. I, I don't know. I, don't, I, mean, I, got, I got nothing else to add to that. That was well, let's, let's really take a it. break. We're going to get into a couple of tech topics because people are here for the tech. So we do have a couple of tech topics and then We'll get out of here and we'll return to your regularly scheduled geared up next Woo! week. So we'll be right back after the break. We're going to talk a little bit more about tips to protect your data when you're out. I'm going to ask you guys for your tips. That's coming up next on Geared Up. Welcome back to Geared Up brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards, and it is now time for the National Car Rental story of the week. As you know, Geared Up is sponsored by National Car Rental. And if you don't know, I also do a show with National Car Rental on YouTube called Technically Speaking, where I bring you the latest, my picks for the best tech for business travel. Whether you're business traveling or even whether you're going for leisure travel, there's a lot of tech out there that can make your travel more efficient or even more fun. You can check these episodes out at the nationalcar.com control center or go to youtube.com slash nationalcarrent. The latest tech puts you in the driver's seat. National Car Rentals Emerald Club will keep you there. Once again, big thank you to National Car Rental for sponsoring Geared Up. Now to get into the National Car Rental story of the week, follow up to the video that I talked about earlier. Tips on protecting your data when you're out and about. And as I said earlier, this applies not just to today's current climate in the world, but really anyone. If you're taking a device the size of a smartphone with you on a trip or just outside, phones get lost all the time. And if you have data on that phone that is supposed to be private, that shouldn't fall into the wrong hands, there are steps you can take to protect it that you may not even 
know exist. Now, the two of you, obviously, on this on the show with me, you're experts. You're considered experts in this field of consumer electronics. Yeah. So I'm going to leave a link to my video in the show notes, but I wanted to get perspective from you guys. What do you guys do? What steps do you take to protect your devices from your data and your hardware for being accessed by people who you wouldn't want to access them? Yeah, the easiest thing to do for everyone in regards to just my personal experience losing things, you always miss the photos, right? So if you don't use iCloud photos backup, that can get pretty pricey. But a lot of people don't know that Google Photos is still 100% free if you're comfortable with Google owning all those pictures. <laughs> so I, you know, I could care less if Google has all of my iPhone pictures. So I just, I've been backing up my photos on the Google Photos app for three or four years now. And literally they will save all of your pictures to infinity. It's a little bit lower res. If you want the exact 20 megapixel file, 5,000 pixels, you do have to pay for that, but it's 100% free in Google Photos. If you just download the app, back up all your photos. And so I, I always know the moment I take a picture, it's backed up on Google Photos and I can restore it. And it's honestly a really good way to search for pictures because I literally have three or four years of pictures on my Google Photos app. And all of their search capabilities are so powerful because it's Google that I could literally type in someone's name because I use the like facial recognition thing, you know, and I could find all the pictures of my mom, you know, mm. or from 2016 dark. So it'll bring up all the night pictures. It's just, it's so handy and I've never lost pictures because of it. So that's not as practical, but it's like a good picture situation. And that's also not just Android. Uh, oh, the yeah. Google Photos yeah, yeah. app for, Io- for iOS, iOS and Android. Um, is amazing. It's so yeah, good. It's amazing. And it does it all on its own. It'll just back mm-hmm. up the photos. Yep. So I, I have a few. I think that suggestion for Google Photos, I use that all the time. It's actually how I sort of one of the things I can do when I switch between iOS and Android. That's how I keep yeah. all my photos in one place. So I think there are a couple things. And I think maybe the first one might be unpopular, but don't jailbreak or root your phone would be the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the first one. I know it's, it's a popular thing to do right now. You know, 13.5, easily jailbreak, universal, but you are removing safety features from your phones and making it a more, a bigger security risk. And you're opening up vulnerabilities. Number two, and perhaps a big one to be use a VPN. Pick yep. one, download one, search VPN in your app store, pick one that's got four or five star reviews and use that. That's a virtual private network that sort of puts another insulatory layer between you and what you're doing. Avoid public Wi-Fis. And I bet people didn't know whether you're on iOS or Android, you can encrypt your data right from your phone very easily. In iOS, you go to settings, touch ID and passcode, bottom of the page, it says data protection enabled. And you can just select that. In Android, if your phone's not rooted, go to security and then encrypt phone. And it'll take about an hour to two and it will encrypt all your information on your phone. Things Andrew mentioned too, the passcode thing is really important that your phone will lock quickly. Is, and use a passcode awesome. and not fingerprint face ID if you are like protesting mm-hmm. or stuff. Because I heard it's extremely yeah. easy to get a warrant for face ID or touch ID because yes. all they have to do is just use you. But it's extremely hard for yeah. a, like an actual passcode. Very true. And if you are on iOS and you're walking with your phone, uh, if you're on a modern Apple phone and you hold down your lock button and your volume button, it essentially puts you into the slide to power off thing. When your phone is on that, the only way to get back into information is with the passcode. You cannot use your face. Mm, there you go. So keeping your phone like that, even if you do it once and then you close the phone and turn the screen off, the only way to get back into that is with a passcode. Face ID will not work and touch ID will not work. So in case you're worried about somebody holding your phone to your face, that's a good way to do it. And I think disabling face unlock and fingerprint unlock are another good way to keep your information secure from somebody who can, you know, perhaps forcefully take your finger or hold the device. Yeah, that's actually, that's one of the things I like about the iPhone is that specific tip. You can hold down the power button and up volume button without looking at your screen. It could be in your pocket and you can do it. You don't have to physically like unlock your phone to access this feature. Another great feature is emergency SOS. If you're holding your iPhone, quickly tap the power button, the side button five times in a row. It'll start basically like a siren sound and it'll do a three, two, one countdown. The benefit of that is if you don't disengage it before it hits the countdown, it will automatically call the cops, although maybe you don't want 
to call them. <laughs> um, but the other thing is it will do the same thing that John just said. It'll both call an emergency service and it'll disengage biometric authentication. So you would need to put in a passcode to get back into yeah. your phone. Those are solid tips, especially Sarah. Like Sarah, like, I know it wasn't a security thing, but I don't know that there's a, a more devastating data loss than your photo history for anyone. Like that's yeah. Ter- yeah. terrible. I have two years of my life that are like gone because a photo library got corrupted because I had all my, and that's something I'm still trying to figure out because I used to keep all of my pictures in the Apple yeah. photo library app on my Mac and just one got corrupted and I lost two years of pictures. So now I just have the individual file pictures just in folders. And then I keep that organized because I don't trust my photos in. Once that happens, like you can't, it's it's hard to get the trust back. I'm like, and because I don't, I don't even use Macs as much anymore. So that was honestly one of the biggest issues when I was going away from my MacBook was just like, what is a good workflow for storing and viewing photos? It's still really hard. That's why Google Photos is great for iPhone pictures, but I'm still kind of struggling with that. I don't know. I think I need an app that's literally just like a UI layer, uh, like on top of my files, you know, File Explorer or Finder. That would be helpful, I think. That's a good, that's a good segue right there. It's a great segue. On the last show where Sarah was a guest, she stated fervently and defiantly she would never ever buy apple laptop ever again i don't never ever yeah you were like i don't know if it was never ever you said number one maybe as the keyboards are terrible from 2016 no because i said i said even in the future what if they fix the keyboard you were like "Mm -mm, look at usb this whole thunderbolt thing i don't even have an sd card slot i'm a creator i need that the keyboards are terrible apple has lost their way still don't have now since then (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they have released the new 16-inch, 13-inch, and a MacBook yeah. Air with a vastly improved keyboard. Yeah, and just the airflow is better and everything's better. Now I don't feel bad recommending it to people. Oh, So I, I still don't have one, but now I don't feel guilty about like, yeah, buy a MacBook Pro. I don't care. They're great. <laughs> I don't care. So, Andrew, while we're on the topic of yes. minds being changed, I owe you an apology uh, from a show I believe was last week as well. We talked about uh, HomeKit and how I made jokes about its UI being terrible yeah. and I have no interest in HomeKit. Since then, I, I've completed my six months with Android. Now I'm on my six months with iOS before I switch back. And I've now started setting up oh, HomeKit oh. Nice. and HomeKit compatible devices. And I've gotten very into it. So I'm uh, so into HomeKit. Po- it's f- kind of gotten fun with the automation. So my apologies for that. I feel like I can be a big enough person to It's funny uh, because I, I think I, what's interesting about HomeKit to me is that not just the average person, but even people like us who would be more considered to be pros. I feel like most people think when I say HomeKit, I'm talking about how great Siri is. Like HomeKit <laughs> oh. equals Siri to a lot of people. Nah. <laughs> but it's Oof. you can use Siri to control HomeKit devices, but the platform itself, I think, is, is I think very it's great. solid. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Have, I have my entire I, office is run on it. I basically have like automation set up where like if I'm within a mile of my office, my neon light will automatically turn on as well as like the nano leaf I have in there. And then I have like basically everything set up with like smart plugs. And that's the only place I have a home pod as well. So it's really easy for anyone to just do whatever they need right. in the office. John, what have you been getting into over there? So my apologies there. I haven't plugged in my HomePod since my initial review of it. I've had oh, no use for it since then, but okay, I did good. set it back up again. And that kind of got me back into testing HomeKit stuff. So I have a brilliant light switch and I don't mean like, like it's brilliant. I mean, it's actually by the brand brilliant in my hallway. So I bought some motion sensors for my front door and back door that if, if they get triggered after 1155 PM, it'll turn on those lights in my hallway. And I was like, well, that's cool. Like that's a neat safety feature. And that was very easy to set up. So now I started exploring other things I can buy. I'm like, well, yep. I set up cameras, kids rooms. And then I kind of went down a rabbit hole. And I had to stop myself from just spending more money than was necessary at this point on HomeKit compatible things, looking at myself that wasn't HomeKit, which is disgust <laughs> at my former self for dropping that kind of dough on things that weren't compatible. So You got to get the blinds, man. The blinds are my favorite HomeKit device that I have in my house. The thing that sucks, I think I said this last week too, when you move, you can't take your blinds with you. Your windows are totally different size. Yeah. Yeah. It's a rabbit hole stuff. And the misconception you need an iPhone to use HomeKit uh, is false. 
you can obviously set it up with an iPhone, but if you have a HomePod or a current gen Apple TV, you can use that yes. as your hub and you can use the the HomePods or speak your Siri commands that will enable sort of your home kitty things to do their, you know, their. We their should tasks. have as a future guest, Matt Casanelli, the master Short of shortcuts. shortcuts. The master. I had him on mine. How was it? I mean, I'm sure he just dropped knowledge left and right. Yeah, he freaking blew my mind. I had such little knowledge of shortcuts and I was like, wow, this is really cool. However, I will say I don't use it even after learning. You really have to like have things in mind. You have to be an iPad power user yeah. basically in order to get a lot of value yeah. out of it. I have I have a few shortcuts for at my house that makes sense, but really automations with HomeKit has been the center of a lot of the automation like with my office. So if I'm within a mile I do have one cool shortcut where it's basically a shortcut. What is it called? I have it here. It, home ETA, where I press that shortcut and it basically says where I am, does an estimation of the subway time in Google Maps, and it'll send a text to John basically being like, I'll be home in 12 minutes. So that's stuff really like cool. that oh, that's is really cool. cool. Yeah. Not not me, not oh, me, John. Uh, we should, we should fiance, clarify. John. We should, we should, we should clarify. <laughs> There's too many Johns. My brother's name is John, I was like, too. Thanks, Sarah. I'm glad you'll be home in 15 minutes. <laughs> I have so many Johns in my life. It's overwhelming. <laughs> Literally, my grandpa's name is John. My uncle's name is John. My brother's name is John. Wow. And my fiance's name is John. Your husband will be John. Yeah. And my name's Sarah. It's like the most basic name. I have, I have a sister named Sarah. So John and Sarah. My sister Sarah's husband is a Jonathan. And my other sister has a brother-in-law. Andrew's like, I these white you. people, man. I feel you very much. <laughs> I don't know why I thought you were going to yeah. say your sister's name was yeah. John, though. I was like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> That's funny. That's pretty okay. funny. Last topic. Last topic of the show. Let's talk about cameras for a little bit. And the reason is just because if you watch Sarah's content on YouTube, she's a yes. camera-centric woman she is all about it and so like for me i buy a camera and i'm like this is my camera for the next couple of years because i'm not trying to learn all sorts of different things so (laughs) yeah sarah you got the sony zv1 in recently that's probably the newest camera Mm -hmm. i'm assuming Mm -hmm. that you've got talk to us about cameras for the next five minutes before we get oh my god i could talk to a wall about cameras. So the ZV-1 is really interesting because I used to vlog a lot. I did nine months of of vlogging for five days in a row. It was awful, but I learned a lot. (laughs) During that time, the Sony RX100 Mark III and Mark V were my go-to cameras. A lot of people basically took the RX100, which is primarily like a really good point and shoot for photos. And then it also does video. And we hijacked it as our main video camera. And so there were a lot of problems that came up. Sony basically was like, hey, that's great. You have all this feedback, but this really isn't for you. Okay. Mm. This camera is not meant to have a mic jack, a headphone jack. This camera isn't meant to have a swivel screen. It's not meant to appease you video people. This is for photo people who want a good point and shoot that also does video. Yeah. So fast forward to the past month, they released a Sony ZV-1, which is basically take the Sony RX100 Mark V and make it for video people. So now we have the classic swivel screen that you see a lot on a lot of the Canon cameras, but we also have the same features from the RX100 that were video friendly, meaning that it has the NDs, so auto NDs, which the RX100 6 and 7 went on to not have, Mm -hmm. because again, they're focused on options for photo people who also do video. And so, you know, you can shoot 4K up to 30 frames per second. You can adjust the settings to film in 4K with no record limit. It will shut off at five minutes because it's worried about the heating, but it'll be fine. You just have to turn off in settings. It has a new exterior that is no longer aluminum, but it's kind of more of a polycarbonate plastic. So it actually does dissipate the heat much better. So all of these things that we've been screaming, you know, there's also a jack for a microphone and there's a hot shoe. So they had to take out some of the stuff, but, you know, they took away the EVF and flash. We don't need that. Mm -hmm. Put the hot shoe, put a better mic system. So actually, it's great that we can plug in mics now, but the audio, the internal mic is so much better to where a lot of the time, if you're just vlogging or you need it for casual video, you don't even need that anymore. So they finally made the video people happy and it's only $7.99. So they're not... They love to do this really cute thing with the RX100s where they just increase the price instead of decrease the price of the previous models. So it was really refreshing for them to come in at a price that was the 
basically RX 100 three and four price. So at seven ninety nine. So I'm I'm a big fan of it, but it makes me realize that I just have too many cameras going on because I'm I'm usually a Sony shooter, but I get yeah. sidetracked and I have GH5s and I have Blackmagic Pocket Cinema cameras and I have Canon lenses for some reason. I mean, I use all my Blackmagic, but yeah, the past year I'm back in the zone of I need to consolidate a little bit. I have the GH5s for my podcast because there, there was no record limit. But now yeah. Sony has been taking away the record limit on a lot of their cameras. So it just, I think it makes more sense. Like get rid of the GH5s. I don't really need them anymore. I can replace them with, you know, Sony 6600s because I already have so much can or Sony glass, excuse me, because that's already my main go-to for cameras. So going to try to consolidate. Got too many cameras, but it's fun. Let me just I, say I real quick. Yeah. That last three to four minutes where Sarah didn't even take a breath <laughs> is like paramount in showing <laughs> that she knows exactly what she's yeah. talking about. Like she's not someone that reads. The, I don't read the specs off, the off of a box. <laughs> no, that was the point I was going to make was that you guys can't see Sarah. We can see her. She was not reading notes. That no. was straight up from memory. <laughs> Every single spec that she read yeah, through. I'm in awe. Um, I was, and, and I pulled it up here on my computer just to see. And she was like, I mean, point for point, went through like all the salient features. So uh, respect to you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. I haven't used the ZV-1. Mm-hmm. So the, there's two comments here. One, from the footage that I've seen when people are actually vlogging with it, it seems like they could have went just a little wider mm-hmm. for if it's meant for vlogging. And number two. Do you think there's enough of a difference to spend the $800 if you have a modern a Mark V high-end smartphone? Oh, like okay. you have an iPhone 11 Pro or like a high-end mm-hmm. $1500 smartphone. So, it depends what you're trying to accomplish. I went through this thing recently where I kind of went on this journey with Leicas and I became just obsessed with a Leica camera that is a camera that people would be confused by because it's fixed lens. You can't change the lenses. It's very compact, but it has a 42 or 47 megapixel full frame sensor. Mm-hmm. And it's just so fun to use. And there's a touch screen and there is video, there's 4K recording, but it was so fun to shoot with. And then when you go to the computer and look at the pictures and, and look at what the higher megapixels gets you, you're just like, oh, I get it. Holy smokes. And that was kind of the same experience I had with the ZV-1 and that I brought it with me and, you know, RX100, whatever, this type of camera. Whenever you bring it out and you start actually shooting pictures with it and shooting video and you put them next to your smartphone pictures and you put them in the scenarios where it's low light, where it's all of these things where a one inch type sensor makes such a big difference, where the extra megapixels makes such a big difference you know, bigger pixels, more light. You're just like, I think 100% it's worth it. It makes the experience more enjoyable too. Having that camera literally made me want to vlog. And I haven't said that in probably two years, but it actually made me excited. So if you can get a camera that gets you excited about filming, excited about shooting pictures, then I think it's 100% worth it. Once you start thinking about If you're a new family, you want to document like your kids. I mean, this is something that Nilay Patel from The Verge said that I never even thought about, but he's a big fan of the RX100 Mark V. And he said once he had his kid, he's like, you know, you don't actually think about how babies and kids are like smaller humans. And when you capture them with your phone, you have to like zoom in on your phone. It gets pixely really quick. Having the extra megapixels, having the bigger sensor actually goes a long way. And so I think... A camera like this is really great for that, especially for people who maybe have video first needs, but the pictures were exactly the same as if you're using RX 105. And I would say, because it's such a small form factor, you're going to bring it with you to places that you wouldn't even bring a bigger mirrorless or DSLR. So you're going to use it like a smartphone, but you're going to get such a better image from it. I say like, why not? Sarah Dietschy, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, appearing on the show again this week, for joining us. Of course. Especially, especially this week in particular and the perspective you were able to bring to the show. Let people know where they can find you if for some weird reason they don't know. 
Yeah. You know what? I'll just say, you can Google me, guys. Just Google Sarah Peachy and you'll find me. But I'll plug that creative life because we're about to film an episode with Andrew after this. John has been on it. So maybe you, you, in studio. Yes. Yes. So maybe you can link the John episode, no, the Andrew episode. So that creative life, wherever you listen to podcasts. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up. That's two words, not one in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at GearLive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.